This is the Nearside Low Podcast, brought to you by Missouri Water Polo. For all highlights, scores, and updates, please visit www.mowaterpolo.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at Nearside Low, or Instagram at Nearside Low underscore podcast. Nearside Low Podcast, we are back. This is Charlie. This is Ray. And we are ready to rock. We're a little delayed. Uh, Ray, I guess we probably didn't record last week, but that's okay. Um, we're here. We're back. We got a lot to talk about, I think, tonight. Would you agree? I agree. We got a great guest in Craig Wilson, and finally, Water Polo is starting to pick up with some uh, close games. So, yeah, definitely a lot to talk about. All right. So, let's do the question of the week recap. Let's recap this, though. The previous question of the week, right? I never posted. This question of the week I posted. We somehow landed 17 votes, and I set it up where it was only like live for 24 hours. Ah, the agony! <laughs> I promise, Ray, that week three of our new question of the week, I will let it run a full six or seven days because I'm impressed we got 17 votes here uh, just in you know a 24-hour period. But, hey, you know what? Third time's a charm. I'll get it right <laughs> this time. So talk to us about the results. What do we got? Yeah, so last week we asked what was the most important uh, extra to these water polo video feeds that have been going out. I know both you and I have been watching a, a number of them. Not me, um, not me, right? Well, I'm not, I'm uh, not scouting. <laughs> well, I've, I've at least watched a few. And uh, so uh, the things we threw out were uh, the comment section, uh, score, uh, commentators, and then zoom in capabilities or multiple camera angles. And of the 17 votes are... Uh, our winner was commentators with 53%, followed by score at 41%. In third place was zoom in capabilities at 6%. And I think uh, very wise, no one chose the comment section. Comment so, section. Uh, yeah, a little crazy in there. Yeah, no. So I, I agree with those. I was, uh, before this podcast tonight, I turned on the uh, Slew to Spec game for a little bit. Um, and uh, they were doing a nice job zooming in on the score, stuff like that. So that was, that was great. But uh Looking forward to seeing teams adapt to the technology as the season goes along. Definitely, definitely. All right. Um, okay, new question of the week. Yeah, so I, I think we've had some iteration of this question in, in years past, but um, this year, uh, the state championship, obviously Missouri is normally held at the Recplex. Um, this year, that is likely not going to happen just because of everything that's been going on with COVID. So it's going to be at one of our local pools. We do not have that set up yet i know it's in the works trying to figure it out but uh just asking where would you like the state championship to be held this year and the four options uh we're going to include our four out of our five uh all deep pools so uh burrows which i had a chance to see this last week uh beautiful new facility all deep love the lighting in there um have a pretty pretty nice uh spectator section uh micds at number two uh kirkwood at number three Lindbergh at number four um obviously i Lindbergh may not be available due to uh, due to construction, but um, which of those pools would you would you uh, like to see the state championship played this year? Uh, Ray, I have noticed Parkway West is missing from there. <laughs> I'd just like to throw our hat in the ring. Um, if anyone's ever played there, we know we can get that place rocking if we need to. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, you know, unfortunately, uh, it is shallow deep. But hey, if worse comes to worse, we'd be willing to host. All right. Um, so, yeah, so we'll we'll get that posted. JBS, MICDS, Kirkwood, Lindbergh. Um, yeah. So uh, that'll be uh, interesting. And we don't know, Ray, and I, I'm not following this. I've had questions. We're not 100 percent sure the Recplex is not hosting, but we're, we're thinking it's probably not going to happen. 
Correct. I uh, I touched base earlier this week, and that that was the consensus. Um, okay. Yes. So we'll let All you right. know when we hear. All right. Recap of games, Ray. I mean, we got a lot of scores listed here. Do we want to go through them all, or we want to tell people to visit Mo Water Polo and then maybe highlight a couple of these? Yeah, I think that I think that sounds good. So yeah, uh, check out Mo Water Polo. There were a lot of games between the top eight teams this last week. This was really one of the first weeks where. We got uh, a lot of competition in that grouping, and I think uh, that gave some uh, help to sort out a little bit the ra- the rankings. Um, so, uh, just a couple games that I'll highlight. Um, we'll, we'll get the t- to the top ten, but Parkway West um, took over the top top spot this week, and I think the scores from the past week reflected that. Um, they're having a very solid victory, eighteen to five over Parkway Central, and then thirteen to four over Kirkwood. Um, Slu High has also continued to do well, beating uh, Parkway Central in overtime in a in a close game, uh, overtime game, uh, winning 12 tonight over Parkway Central. Uh, tonight we were recording this on Wednesday night. The, earlier tonight they beat um, Desmet as well, and then a few other games. Kirkwood, Kirkwood is also Kirkwood's currently in that number three spot. They they beat Lindbergh earlier this week. If they beat Ledoux earlier well. this week too. They beat Ledoux, yeah. 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 So. Um, so check out all the scores, but overall, I mean, I think uh, we're starting to get some better clarity as far as our top 10. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. And, and I, I would say, you know, looking at some of the game scores, teams have played each other, uh, some teams have played each other more than once. I'd say the gap's kind of been closed. There's some scores a little bit closer than I thought they were going to be, which I think is good, um, which, you know, gets you towards the end of the season, you know, in the next month, and you start to say to yourself, well, I mean, there's there's situations where, um, you know, the final four is definitely not set in stone by any means. Um, I think we could have some we could have some prizes, some some surprises, um, you know, if teams step up and play well in certain games and other teams maybe don't. I mean, I still think that, uh, you know, people are talking about front runners, this, that and the other. But I'd still say there's there's six or seven teams that are kind of jockeying for for four spots. So, yeah, absolutely. And I, I was on uh, pool deck for a couple of the games. Um, and a few of the things that I it caught my eye was I, I mean, it was great to see. I, we've talked about some of the new coaches on deck, but. Um, I was really impressed with some of the coaching that I was seeing going on this year. It's great to see new new faces on the sideline, and um, I, I really observed that in the last week. One thing that I mean did stick out to me as you watch see some of these close games. I mean, Parkway Central eleven to nine over CBC, Lindbergh eight to seven over Desmet. In a normal year, these teams would get to play each other again and see um, how they improved over time, and maybe if they had an off day once, they'd get a chance to right. to rectify that. But this year, with the COVID schedule and the, the fewer games. A lot of these teams are only getting to play each other one time, which uh, definitely makes for things more challenging when we're going to be setting our, our state tournament later and also just puts a little bit higher stakes on the on their one chance to play these teams. So uh, that was just something as I was watching these close games this past week that, that also stood out to me. Okay, good. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm looking at um, some other stuff here. We're still not allowing fans at uh, West High, but we did get to play when we played at Kirkwood and we played at Ledoux. We had fans in the stands. Our parents were just super ecstatic. Um, and it was just, it was fun. It was, you know, it was a little more normal. You know, everybody's got their mask on and stuff. But, I mean, there were there were people cheering and people taking pictures. And um, and so that that was good to see. So hopefully, um, hopefully a lot of schools are getting the opportunity to play at locations where, you know, some parents or relatives or friends are able to pop in and and uh, watch sons and daughters play, which would be pretty exciting. So, um, OK, uh, you want to jump into water pool in the news? Yeah, let's, let's All right. do it. So uh, big shout out, obviously, Greg Uptain is our man uh, and his uh, right hand man, Paul Kopsky, with photos. 
Uh, Greg did a wonderful article on uh, Carson Cornett from SLU and the SLU boys playing Parkway Central. There's some photos, a great article on STL Day about that. Um, and he ended up coming to our Kirkwood game, um, uh, which was uh, also an exciting game. Um, they took photos of that. They had a nice little write-up in there about that, which was great. Um, and then he also put together, as we had mentioned, I think we mentioned this last podcast, there was going to be a uh, players-to-watch list um, that they listed. So there was a wonderful write-up on Tanner Whitson from Kirkwood. Um, as he was one of the players to watch, and Kirkwood was kind of one of the teams to watch. And then uh, Ray, I'll let you take the other the other players to watch there. Yeah, and the other the other players they mentioned: uh, Devin Bierman from Ladue, a senior; uh, Carson Cornett, a senior at Slough High; uh, Seamus Heaney, a senior at Kirkwood; uh, McKay Morgan, uh, really solid uh, center defender at Parkway West, who's a senior; and then uh, the lone junior was Alex Terzik from uh, Parkway South. So, um, yeah, really well done article. I. I mean, I, I think a lot of the, the coaches were wondering who was going to be in there because there's, I mean, a few other players who did not make that list that I, I think there could be argument that they should be there. But uh, definitely, I'll, definitely. Yeah. And I'll just echo what uh, you said, coach. I mean, I whenever you see Gre- Greg Uptain, I always like just thank him. I mean, obviously, there's a ton of spring sports going on, particularly this year with COVID. It's been more challenging. But um, in the last week, seeing three water polo articles are a little bit over. I mean, just speaks to, um, how, how much they they do to promote our sports well so, totally um, and he is imbr- i mean he's embraced the sport he like li- seems to like it he wants to come to those games that are he knows are going to be exciting and stuff like that and i mean i i think that's great so uh huge props to him and um all that stuff is posted on stl today uh on, under the water polo section so definitely uh definitely check that out uh we don't have any oddball topic of discussion upcoming tournaments games ray you mentioned this um, I don't know when I'll get this laid out and sent out, but uh, we did have a game that I slew versus Jasmet. Um, I watched a little bit of it. I think you had a score update. Yeah, I, I watched a, is the, the time was rolling down the fourth quarter and slew was up by like seven goals or so. Okay. Um, so solid, solid, uh, solid victory for slew high. Okay. Um, and then later this week, tomorrow, the 15th, we've got Jasmet versus Ledoux, um, slew versus Parkway West. And then on the 17th, Parkway, that's like a Saturday game, uh, Parkway Central versus Parkway South. So um, some pretty pretty good games. This met Ledoux. We played Ledoux. I was super impressed with them. Um, and I, I thought they, they played really well. Um, and Desmet has, has lost some close ones. Um, and so, you know, that should be a pretty good matchup. Slew versus West at the Longhorn Natatorium. Uh, you know, I'm sure it'll be an exciting one. Uh, so we'll see how that turns out. And then, uh, uh, you know, a battle of the Parkways, Parkway Central versus Parkway South. So that'll be that'll be an interesting one, too. Yeah, um, all those games. I mean, I think uh, SLU is number, is number two right now. Parkway West, number one. DeSmets had a, had a rough last week just with the number of games they've had to play and uh, a few less guys. But uh, Coach Squires has been doing an awesome job over there coaching those guys up. I think both those games here on Thursday are going to be very interesting. And then uh, we'll we'll come back again next week. But um, a couple of big games next week, uh, Kirkwood versus Parkway Central and Kirkwood versus SLU High. Um, will really help us shape our, our top 10. So definitely, um, definitely. a lot of good water polo. All right. Top 10. Yeah. So uh, top 10 for boys, uh, Parkway West, number one, Slough High, number two, Kirkwood, number three, Parkway Central, number four, Ledoux, number five, Lindbergh at six, CBC at seven, the Smet at eight, Parkway South at nine and Chaminade at 10. Any my, thoughts my, on that, Ray? Yeah. So, got? I mean, this is the third uh, different team that has taken over the top slot in the boys top 10. 
It started off with Slough High, then Kirkwood, and now Parkway West at one. I think that's um, I think that's based on the scores we've had thus far, how it should be. Uh, but I, as we talked about, we've got some games in that top 10. Uh, CBC has gradually been cre- creeping up uh, to mm-hmm. number seven. Um, they've had some some strong games as well. Um, and uh, I think Parkway South, I'm curious to see um, if they can keep climbing the ladder, ladder as well. Okay. All right. What about the girls' top 10? Girls' top 10, uh, Marquette number one, Oakville at number two, Ledoux at number three, Lafayette at number four, and Parkway North at number five. So I, uh, I know Marquette had a couple of big wins uh, last week, including over Oakville. Um, definitely, uh, definitely have some, some athletes that, uh, can play. And the, the one thing that I will say, I, I talked to, uh, um, some of the, the parents and coaches on both Marquette, Oakville and Lafayette. And, uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to see that this year, there's a number of these girls that are planning to play college next year. Uh, we already talked about one of the Marquette girls going to play at Mercyhurst. Uh, one of the Lafayette girls is going to play at Augustana. Um, and there's probably more that uh, don't know about. We'll talk about these more later in the year. But um, again, girls' water polo is continuing to grow. Excited to see these teams play again um, in the coming days. Definitely, definitely. All right. Well, we have got a special, special guest on tonight, right? Uh, former national team and uh, Olympic uh, and USA Water Polo Hall of Famer, uh, Craig Wilson. He was a goalie in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Uh, thank you to Ray because Ray is always the man that has contacts that help track people down for us. And so he was able to get his number and convince Craig to come on and chat with us, which is awesome. So we've got a probably a good solid 25, 30 minutes with him where we talk about his career and just goaltending in general and, and all that other good stuff. So kind of a, kind of a sequel to last week, I think is what I would call it. Right. Yeah, I agree. A lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff for goalies out there. Thanks uh, also to Miguel Figueres for, uh, for help with that. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, you know, Ray, you're the go-to guy but because you know, the guys that know the guys, right? Yeah, so that's there. You go. All right. Um, good. So, you know, fast forward to that folks, hopefully you enjoy it. And we hope to put down another podcast next week. Uh, this is Charlie. This is Ray. And we are signing off. And here we are, Near Side Lowe's podcast with a special, special guest, former Olympian, uh, national team player, and Hall of Famer, goaltender extraordinaire, Craig Wilson. Craig, welcome. Uh, It's my pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for the invitation to just talk a little bit about why the goalie position is the most important position in water polo. Okay, awesome. Well, um, as we like to do, I kind of gave you a little introduction, but if you want to give us maybe... Uh, a minute or two minutes on how you kind of got into the sport um, and kind of where it took you and uh, what you're up to these days. That's fair, Charlie. Uh, so I, I think my lineage started with swimming, as most of us have done. There are very few of us in the water polo world that didn't you know, have chlorine seeping out of the pores when they were eight years old. I was fortunate enough to move to a little town in Northern California called Davis, where there was a university, UC Davis. And probably at age 10 or 11, we all used to ride our bikes around town. And I remember hearing this whistle and a, you know, a lot of applause. And I walked into this pool deck and I saw the UC Davis water polo team play. 
what caught my attention, being a swimmer at the time, was this goalie who would grab the cage with both hands <laughs> and he would rattle the cage because back in the mid-70s, there was a penalty shot about every five minutes. And he would rattle the cage and he would let out a primal scream like you would see at a zoo. And, of course, he was trying to intimidate the shooter. And I sat there and I watched. I go, oh, man, this guy's crazy. I love this stuff. Uh, <laughs> and he would block probably 60%. His name was Peter Hagen. Uh, he never, you know, he didn't play on to the national level, but he was playing high-level high college water polo. So I said, you know what? I don't know the game of water polo, but I want to be in the water. And as I progressed through my water polo career at Davis Junior High School and Davis High School, I migrated to the goal. And I'll never forget those moments of Pete Hagen. Truly, I mean, he was electric. Everybody in the crowd wanted to hear him and see him. And he won games for his team. So post high school, where do we have, where, where do we had? So, uh, we, we, we at Davis high school had a very good team. Unfortunately, we were not as strong as the Bay area teams and the Southern California teams. If you, if you work your way through the names, we were a good, we were a good team. I uh, graduated, graduated from high school and I ended up going to Santa Barbara. And I played two years of Frisbee golf on the beach as I went to Santa Barbara City College. And upon graduating from throwing a Frisbee a long distance and very accurately, I showed up at the pool deck my junior year. And I said to the coach, Pete Snyder, hey, I play water polo and I'd really like to try it for your team. Uh, there were five goalies on, on the team at the time. To make a long story short, I started every game with UC Santa Barbara my junior year and my senior year, and we won the NC2A championships my senior year. It's the first and the second now to the history of the school to win an NC2A championship. So it was a natural progression. I mean, Davis, Santa Barbara, Sand, water polo. And then after that, you went on to play on the Olympic team. I know, um, I think you won two silver medals, but talk about your Olympic experience. Back at Santa Barbara, um, after having won the NC Toy Championship, I was pretty darn convinced that, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm done. You know, I mean, what more can I do? And one night we were cranking the Rolling Stones in my dorm or my apartment. And uh, one of my roommates picks up the phone and says, hey, there's some guy named Monty Daskowski on the phone. He wants to talk to you. And I yelled out, turn down the stereo. Because obviously I knew who Monty was. And uh, so we turned it down. And he said, Craig, I really liked the way you played in the NCAA championships. And I really liked the way you pass. You pass the ball well. So my ticket to the national team was because you have an outlet pass. And I want you on my team. So he invited me down to come to the team. And uh, that was 1980, 1981. And that's what he built uh, his offense around. I mean, imagine, you know, if you will, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, if you watch the Lakers, he would grab a rebound. He would turn around 
instantaneously and he would look for a player running down the the court and he would make the pass for usually a fast break and that's what Monty wanted to that's what Monty wanted to base our offense you know the counterattack offense right you know I I was I was invited to the national team because I could pass he didn't say anything about the way I could block the ball go figure that that's fine <laughs> I'll take the ticket <laughs> and, and where where do you think your ability to pass the ball came from I mean I think one of the I mean, when people talk about Craig Wilson, one of the things that they say is that you revolutionized the game by being able to throw that outlet pass. Like, where where did the idea for that come from, and what, what do you think gave you the ability to do that? Totally from Pete Snyder, my uh, college coach. We would we would practice we would practice that outlet pass nonstop. So you you know you have a two three hour workout in the afternoons and. After you know blocking a thousand shots, and my player, my you know field players are pissed off. So I said, okay, now you got to swim. And jokingly, uh, it's it's in any any coaches that are not practicing the outlet pass to the right or to the left. You, you take ten stroke a half court. You make a sharp right hand turn to the right or sharp left hand turn to the left. The ball needs to be in the air before the player even makes their cut. So we practiced it a lot, and yeah, that's that's where I learned it in college. So played on the Olympic team, played internationally. What were some of your your biggest moments or best memories from those times? Oh man, you know Ray, how much time do you have? <laughs> yeah, right. uh, I I think if I can summarize it in a couple of minutes, when I was invited to the team to practice in Long Beach in Newport Beach. I got a chance to be in the pool with the guys that I grew up idolizing. I kind of pinched myself. I said, okay, all of these guys that I knew were extremely good. And it took me a couple of weeks to realize that, hey, you know what? I belong here. So I think that was the number one moment. And then, you know, taking off to China or Hungary or wherever. And I didn't really know who the international stars were then but i figured it out pretty quickly because they played a different style we played a wonderful style i mean come on we didn't lose a game in the 84 olympics we made it to the finals and played overtime in the 88 olympics so we were on par with all these guys but i i, I would say in summary to realize that we as united states water polo players could knock it, knock against the best players in the world. I think that's what, you know, hold, makes me hold my head high. And then, are, are you still playing now? or? Oh, what, no, I'm uh... way too old for this stuff. You know what? <laughs> you know, if I play, I'd break. Uh, and it's nothing against Masters Water Polo, so I promote that. But I got a chance, I, I got a chance to go to Europe for three years, played a couple of years in Italy, played a year in Spain, and who wouldn't want to do that? To, to meet and greet a lot of the guys that I had played against and busted heads against for the last four, five, six, seven years. I recommend it to anybody in your area. I mean, Matt Farmer is somebody that I'm really following well. Uh, that guy has really distinguished himself, and he's really made a great career for himself. 
Yeah, and being here from the Midwest, huge fans yeah. of uh, Matt Farmer, and yeah, absolutely. All right, okay, well, Ray, you want to pivot to goaltending? Yeah, so let's. I mean, so we, oh, I, goaltending, yeah. goaltending. Yeah, right. yeah. Now, Craig, I, you know, full disclosure, I, we, you know, we, I, I always tell anybody that it was a goalie. Like, I, I take the take the laissez-faire approach to my goalies, and uh, so you know, after last week and having you on this week, I think I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to change my tune. But uh, let's talk about goaltending. Uh, Ray, you want to hit hit it off? Um, we, we talked a little bit about your passing ability, but I wanted to talk about some of the other things I think that defined you. So I think one thing um, that talking to people that played against you was how you're inc- incredibly aggressive at coming out of the goal and trying to trying to make steals, um, really pushing that that goal line forward. Um, so wanted to get your impression on what caused you to to be like that and uh goalies today what they should be thinking about loaded question uh and i'll try i'll try to cover it the best i can i, I was a very i was a good swimmer 21 21 flat 50 free so i was fast uh and what became evident to me there's two things mainly you are a verbal coach and it takes time. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how, you know, to whoever it is we're talking to right now, I was the leader of my defense. As time went on, I kind of knew who in the offense outside of me was weak. And I would call a drop. Let's, let's drop from four. And we all have our own numbering system, but my players, my teammates knew me really well. I said, let's drop four. I want a shot from this guy. And what that meant is my two-meter defender. And I'm, I'm getting a little technical here, but from a goalie position, four is going to be to my left. And so I would tell my uh, defensive, my whole defense to play on the left shoulder. And if somebody tried to throw the ball in, it was done. I'd say, go. While the ball is in the air. Uh, so, I mean, it, I think in summary, the most important thing is the goalie needs to be the coach of the defense. And it takes time. You know, press the wings. We're going to play you know, two, three, four. I'd like a little bit softness here. But more importantly than not, you got to work on your legs. Your legs can never be strong enough. Strengthen your legs, number one. Learn how to communicate where the ball is, number two. Have a defensive strategy, number three. And realize that uh, you have the ability to win a game for your team. And that's a, that's a unique personality. Yeah. And with the communication thing, I know that's one thing that Charlie and I as coaches are always talking about, trying yeah. to make sure that our goalies are being verbal. Is that something that you think came to you naturally or is that something that as coaches that you can develop in goalkeepers over time? I, I, I put it on the coaches, you know, it's, it's, it truly is a skill. Number one, you know, if your goalie's young and learning, just call it the clock, 10 seconds, five seconds, shot clock. Number one, number two, where's the ball? So on a, on a counterattack defense balls left and you can hold your hand up. So I always told my guys, if you can't hear me, look at me because I'm going to point to the place where the ball is. So if you're coming back on defense, I'm going to point so they can make the adjustment as necessary. Defensive strategy, what are we doing here? You know, how, how do we, 
if their best player is still coming down, you know, tell your defense, bring this guy into the hole. Let's let him set because he can't do anything. As you learn the game and you learn to control the game, my, my guys just became dependent on me. I said, Craig, what do I do? Go there. Uh, but that, that doesn't happen, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. It takes years to learn, but number one, what's the clock? Where's the ball? Our coach, are we in a press or a drop situation? So start there and work your way forward. I like that. I, yeah, I, I like that. Uh, that's something that, you know, Ray had mentioned. I mean, I, I don't feel like, especially in St. Louis, our goalies talk enough. Uh, yeah, and then you, when the I, more you can talk, the better. Yeah, I know. And then when I see a goalie that's actually barking out orders and stuff, I'm like, wow. I'm like, that's, you know, yeah. I want, yeah. yeah, I want more of that. So um, that's cool. Um, so how about, I mean, your aggressiveness, obviously you were a fast swimmer. Like, is that something that like your high school coach cultivated and was like, Hey, I want you to, I want you to go and try and steal as many balls as possible. Or is that something now? No. I just saw the opportunities. I mean, okay. if, if you're playing again, it all depends on the team you're playing. Right. But if you play a really nice press, press defense, and here's the other thing, the little trick is if you can push the two meter man to four meters or two yard, I don't even know. Yeah. Do you guys use right. yards or meters? So as a meters. goalie, <laughs> as a goalie, as the ball was coming down and the whole man would set. I would push on the back of my guard. So now when, you know, he or she is using their legs and the two of us are pushing them out. And now when you have a two meter offensive player at four meters, your perimeter is now at six and seven yards, seven meters. Right. So that's how you start a really good defense. It's just, you basically just push the whole game two yards away from you. And then let him throw the ball to two meters. And then I would tell my two meter defender, I got the right side. So the ball comes in, don't foul he or she, right. let him pull off a shot. And that shot's going to come from five meters. And I'm already set for that side of the goal. Okay, good. So it's, it's pretty simple stuff, but you got to work your way through. I mean, it, it, it takes a team that's pretty well trained and right. cohesive. Right. So another thing which you alluded to earlier was, I mean, your your swimming ability and your general athleticism. Um, I mean, Charlie and I always talk about, I mean, we've mentioned times before that the goalie should really be the most athletic person in the pool. And uh, I mean, you where did of, you hear that? Yeah, no, <laughs> we, we, we may have heard it from you and maybe some other goalie coaches before, but um so I mean I've I've heard some stories about you racing uh, racing some of your teammates and uh, other things like that. Talk, just just discuss uh, um, maybe some of those stories and uh, your your thoughts on the goalie being the most athletic person. Uh, I, I think that's a that's a coach's call. Yeah, you want you want somebody that's fast and quick, and then if you can add the uh, element of uh, anticipation that's good but you know it's it doesn't happen overnight it doesn't happen automatically but to answer your your question ray um so at the end of each olympic camp so i'm talking 84 88 92 we would always go off in isolation and 
But we, as goalies, challenge the field players. Let's do a medley relay, you know, 200 medley. And we beat the best that the field team could put together, 84, 88. I don't think 92 we did, but I'd always race. I would always race whoever wanted to race 50-yard free. And I won until Chris Humbert beat me in uh, 92. Yeah, we, we would always, you know, we're, we're in the top shape. We're tapered. We're three days from leaving to the Olympics. And we'd always have a friendly race. <laughs> and uh, if, anybody, if any of the field players deny it, just let me know. And I'll send it <laughs> So I was reading, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always on Water Polo Planet. And there's, a, there's a nice long PDF, a book you wrote. And you tell a great story about foreign player. I began with, what was his last name? Farago. Oh, Thomas. Uh, threw, yeah. yeah, Thomas. Yeah. Threw a backhand yeah. on you at half yeah, pool in your first yeah. game, and you said you took your eyes off him. And one of yeah. his quotes to you was, or one of the quotes you said in there was, he was always watching the goalie. So I guess my question for you, kind of flip it, is what were you watching for in shooters? Like, uh, you know, so, what, what did you do yeah. to, to, to get ready to know when they were going to shoot, you know, tendencies, stuff like that? So, you know, I wrote that goalie manual after I was retired. I sat down for three or four days and wrote out, I don't know, 50, 60 pages. But I wanted goalies to realize that you need to be humble. You know what? Don't be arrogant. Realize that you're going to make mistakes. So that story that you're telling, Charlie, was (laughs) my first, you know, my first trip to Italy. And the team I was playing for, based in Sicily, is they had, in the previous season, they had already qualified for, I think it was called, whatever. It was the Cup of the Cup. It was like one of the semifinals. So I knew Thomas Fargo, probably one of the best players in the 70s. When the Hungarians won the 76 Montreal Olympics, he he was the best player. And played against him many times in uh, in Europe, in Hungary. Just really, really a, a nice guy and a super player. So we're, we're, we fly up to one of the uh, northern cities in Italy. And I say, hi, Thomas, how you doing? Let me position this question. You asked me what I wasn't paying attention to. I wasn't paying attention to a sprint. Our team didn't win in the sprint. And the next thing I know, within three seconds, I see a ball screaming over my head. He did a backhand from half court after his team won. And we ended up losing that game by a goal. My first game professionally in Italy. And I wanted to make sure that people realize in that little goalie manual that everybody can be humiliated and humbled by the strangest of circumstances so that's a good question and uh that was i wanted to make that i think it's in the first chapter or first page so then what are you i mean to, to go off that what are you looking for in a shooter like when it when somebody is you know somebody's working towards you or whatever the ball like are there clues that you look for to go okay this guy's ready to blast away or no or like i mean what are what are some of the things if People are watching you to see if you're paying attention. What are you watching for while you're looking out there? Well, totally different scenario. So, again, I was asleep at the wheel. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got that. I was asleep at the wheel. As I worked my way through my international career, the Germans, the Hungarians, the Italians, the Australians, they all different styles. 
So that's one of the pieces in my goalie manual that I make very clear is, and even high school, and probably junior high school, keep keep notes. Because Manuel Estiarte, probably the most prolific scorer, I played against him for 12 years. I played against him in Italy. Wonderful shooter. But he always had the same tendencies. So make a notebook. Learn. Because in the heat of the moment, the star shooter of the team you played five years against will still shoot to the upper right-hand corner, the lower left-hand corner. And that's one of the things that helped us in Seoul Seoul introduced a lot of videotaping to us. So I spent a lot of time before games and after games looking at the shooters. And we ended up playing the Russians in the semifinals leading to the gold medal game. And there was this young kid named Dmitry Ponosenko. Well, you look at the, you can pull up the chart and say, oh, second leading scorer after Manuel Estearte. Well, what makes him tick? So I started watching the tape. Sure enough, the guy was shooting lower right. I mean, a very good shot, right. but a smoking good lower right. So when we played him, I was watching for that. And sure enough, he shot lower right. So, um, you know, become a student of the game. Realize that the best players, even if it's Maradona in soccer or... Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they all have the same tendencies, even if they're the best at what they do. So I, I don't know if I answered your question. No, that Charlie, was good. Yeah, no, I like yeah, that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, players have tendencies. And you know what? If they were to study me, I have tendencies too. Right. But I'm not going to tell them that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So, <laughs> so, I mean, so that's some great advice for uh, for for all goalies. Um, right. Particularly those that are playing this spring. for. For those goalies listening to this podcast, is there any other advice you have, have for them as they're trying to work on their craft and become better? Um, I, I think there are several universal truths. Number one, your legs can never be strong enough. Number two, you can never take enough shots. Uh, as coaches, it's your responsibility. If the guys or the girls want to stay behind for 15, 20 minutes – let them take as many shots as possible, not only for the shooters, but for the goalie. I would say number three, uh, one of the things that goalies can really help is if your shooters will ask the goalie. I mean, I, I could have helped, and I did help a lot of my shooters say, you know what? You have a tendency to do this. You know, you take two fakes, you twist your neck. And you shoot to the upper left-hand corner. Oh, how'd you know that? Because I've seen a thousand shots. The goalie can help the shooters become better just by letting them speak. I like it. I like it. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, coaches can't do it because you guys are, you guys are on the pull deck. Right. But uh, the goalie knows the shooters better than anybody else. I would carve out a couple of days where, okay, Craig, what do you see Terry Schroeder not doing well? Yeah. I tell him. But unless you guys carve out the time, it's right. not going to happen. Transitioning on to a couple other other topics, one thing I want to get your thoughts on are um, so the new rule uh, to where goalies can now cross half. Um, I had no idea. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a new one. I know. I mean, in, in reading in reading your book, you you I mean, in there, I think yeah. you you know, like you say that it would be nice if goalies could be more part of the offense. Yeah, to be able yeah. To come it's up. it's kind of like it's hockey, you know, pull or, or pull the pull the goalie. You you like the change or you don't like the change. What do you think? Well, of course. Okay, you like it. Nothing goes to shoot. Uh, and, and actually, it's it's probably very strategic in the right situations because it's hard to score a goal from 25 yards, 25 meters. So mm-hmm. if you bring your goalie down, uh, I don't know. Are there obviously six on five we have plenty of plays that way yeah there's teams that are starting to do seven on six now yeah yeah so So. i I don't know i don't know the strategy behind that right uh if i were a coach i'd load up the goal and just you know i i don't know how i don't know how i would approach it but that's great you know what i i think it's i think it's important you guys you guys figured out polo it's some good stuff but my final message to, to leave you guys and thank you for the time again is the goalie will win a game when the goalie's playing well and a goalie is only as good as the team in front of them. So here we, we can make a difference, but uh, coaches need to realize that goalies will make a difference. Give them the chance, teach them well. And you know what? As we always do, have a great time. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, it's all good, man. Uh, Okay. This is Charlie. This is Ray. And we are signing off.